This is producer Michael Miracle. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. Be sure to check out our website at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com for all of our past shows and podcasts, plus Jim's blogs, reading recommendations, and tons of great I Work For Him resources. All available at iworkforhim.com. And now, today's broadcast. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him today. Hey, I don't know where you're listening to us, but I know we got people listening online on letstalkfaith.com and on iHeartRadio. You maybe listen to a rebroadcast on, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Maybe you're listening to us on another station on the internet that I don't even know about because I know we're getting we're starting to get spread out there, but maybe you're listening on Red Nation Rising. However you're hearing our show today, just know that before the show we prayed that the Lord would use what we are talking about to cause you to dig deeper into your faith. Just know that we're praying for you. Every show, before every show, we're praying for those people that are going to listen to it. So here's a question. Have you read through the Bible, cover to cover? I'm just amazed at how many Christ followers are running into that when I ask them that question, they're like, well, no, some of it's a little boring. Like, But here's the question. I'm telling you, you need to read it from cover to cover. But what's the fuss all about, you might ask? Do I really care about what the Old Testament says? Because we're under the New Covenant, right, Jim? I don't need to know the Old Testament. You know, I'm a Jesus follower, so I'm reading the Gospels. That's what you might say. But did you ever think that the Bible, the whole Bible, could be considered the answer to all of life's questions? Maybe the handbook that God gave us on answering all the questions that you ask every day, including our workplace, business, leadership, marriage, child rearing? So why do we spend so much time avoiding reading our Bible? Why do we have such a hard time sitting down and reading it? I think it's all in our heart, in the heart, our heart. Today, we're going to talk to a guy who found 66 more reasons why you should be reading your Bible, and his name is Dr. Brent Garrison. Dr. Brent Garrison, the Vice President of Education for the CEO Forum, welcome to I Work For Him. Thanks, Jim. You know, I'm so thrilled, first of all, that I get to find out more about CEO Forum today, but also thrilled when I read through your book, I love the fact that you chose to get a leadership lesson for every one of us. And you picked one lesson from every book of the Bible. And I know because I've read the book of the Bible, I've read the Bible from cover to cover 30 or 40 (laughs) times. You had to be really picky because there's a lot of good stuff in there. That must have been hard, but don't answer that question yet. Here's the question I've got for you to start. It's 2017. A lot of it's already passed by. How would you like to see the Lord work in your life between now and the end of the year? Well, again, a great question, Jim. Thanks for the opportunity to even talk about it a little bit. I, I've been a Christ follower since the age of 15, so I'm coming up on 65. It's 50 years. And uh, having read through the Bible a number of times, a seminary grad, and, and it's on and on and on, You know, it, it, even as I've lived 50 years in Christ, I have a greater yearning today to be more attuned with the heart of God than, than probably ever in my life. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled that that's still the case. It, it, my faith is not old. It's not crystallized. It's, it's fresh. And I believe, Jim, one of the reasons that it still is is because of what you said earlier. It, you've got to be in the Word. Uh, it is powerful. It's sharper. It's like a sword that cuts right to the marrow of the bone. It, it's not like any book that's ever been written out of the hundreds of millions of books in uh, recorded history. Uh, it's supernatural. It's been protected and guided by the Spirit of God. So, 
um, you know, that's something that's just part of my life. I, I want to be in the Word on a regular basis and considering it. And then the, out of John 15, I've just fallen in love with this passage. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold that passage to yourself just for a second. Today, we've got a special guest, Dr. Brent Garrison, Vice President of Education for the CEO Forum. But that's not why I brought him on. That's just an extra added bonus. He wrote this book that I absolutely loved, and I wanted to share it with you, our listeners, Leadership by the Book. And you know, listeners, that when I bring an author on and they've got a book, which makes them an author, I read it. I don't just skim it. I don't just like pick through the pieces. I read the book. And because I want to make sure it's really going to be a good book to talk about. And this is a book that I'm excited. We're going to get to give away a copy at the bottom of the half hour, but it's, I love it. I just love the approach. Brent, I apologize for having to interrupt you. You were about ready to share the thought and, and, a, and a thought from scripture from John 15. And you know, I get to go to break, but I, I apologize. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to. So go ahead and tell us what you were going to share with us out of uh, John 15. Well, thanks. Uh, that music was real soft in the background, so I just went over. But John 15, folks, if you haven't really spent some time looking at the first 10 verses of John 15, you, you know this passage. It's about, it, it's about I'm the true vine and my father's a gardener. It, it is a profound passage that all believers need to park on. How do I spend, how do I cuddle up next to the father? How do I get close to him? How do I know his mind? And I believe, again, being in the Word and prayer are just absolutely essential for your faith to, to remain uh, lively and fresh. You know, I, I could never imagine. I gave my life to, to Christ at 13, so just a, a couple of years ahead of when you did. And I'm, I'm a little younger because it's only been a 37-year walk at this point in time. But I always <laughs> thought, I always thought, you know, I remember when that, that first summer as I started reading my Bible, uh, and yeah. I thought, well, you know, I got a few things I got to work on, and I'm going to be good. You know, and 37, 37 years later, yeah, thank you, because yeah. that's exactly what that's to say. 37 years later, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there's more in that list today than there's ever been. Uh, and, yeah. and, and how humbling that is, but how awesome it is, just as you said, that my walk with the Lord today is as fresh today as it was 37 years ago. Yet I have so much more perspective on who my Heavenly Father is. Mm. I, I never imagined that. And, and, and that's what's so cool. So I'm excited to talk to you about it, and I really want to talk about your book, Leadership by the by the Book, but I really want to hear a little bit about CEO Forum, because you are the first person to talk about CEO Forum on I Work For Him, and, and that's because I just didn't know it was out there, because you guys kind of play, you, you play it you, you play pretty conservative. So what's, Yeah, on, under the radar screen, uh, about 20 years ago, uh, Mac McQuiston, who worked for Focus on the Family, uh, was interacting with uh, high, high net worth donors for Focus, and uh, a couple of them said, Mac, you know, we really don't have a forum that we can, as people of faith running large companies, get together and talk about uh, workplace. And, and so that's how the forum started. Today we work with about 200 um, CEOs or senior executives with companies that, that uh, are $100 million or larger, which puts them in pretty rarefied air. And then a number of the companies are well over a billion dollars. So it's kind of a unique workplace ministry and we work with the Blackabees, uh, Henry and Richard Blackaby, experiencing God, a number of people know. And uh, we uh, do something called Spiritual Leadership Institute, which challenges our, our members to, to, to live out that marketplace opportunity that God's given uh, in their place of employment. I, I love the fact you're working with the Blackabees, and, and they have what an incredible reputation. And what it, 
Can you imagine writing a workbook, call it Experiencing God, 30 years ago, and imagining now that it's sold, I don't know, 20 or 30 million copies? It's probably even more than that. I only just last year got to go through Experiencing God, even though my wife had gone through it decades ago. And Mm -hmm. and I was like, that is the coolest study ever. It was so much fun. It Uh, it was so much fun. Very intense, but so much fun. So CEO form, it's for the super-duper bigwigs, male and female? Yes, absolutely. That's fantastic. So if people want to find out more about it online, is it CEO Forum, or what's the website in case they know? No, we, we really have – our website is really, again, as you said earlier, it's just kind of under the radar. Uh, if somebody does want to find out more, they can email me, Brent, B-R-E-N-T, at CEOforum1.org, and uh, then we'll talk to them a little bit farther about it. But uh, again, it's, it's more of a word-of-mouth uh, association and uh, – I found these people, Jim, to be some of the most amazing leaders uh, of anyone I've ever met. And I've worked in the higher Christian higher ed and ministry world for for over thirty years. Uh, these are special folks who want to who want to use the marketplace as an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. And that is so cool. And the fact that they've really got a lot of responsibility because I imagine most of those companies are going to be publicly owned companies, correct? Yeah. And there's so much pressure in that part of the marketplace, in the stock market, for people who are like, hey, it's all about the money. But yet you're yeah. training up leaders to make it not about the money, but to be about the people and about the impact they can make for the kingdom. That's really cool. So let's talk about this book, Leadership by the Book. What inspired you, Brent, to go dig through all 66 books of the Bible and pick out one, only one leadership lesson from each one? Well, Jim, uh, again, working with uh, a group of CEOs with CEO Forum, uh, I, I was thinking, my goodness, how in the world can I get them to see the Word of God as, as the greatest resource for leadership development that there is? Because that's what I believe. And so uh, the idea just one day say, hey, let's let's write a little blurb uh, from Genesis. And then, you know, you do one, you do 66. I don't know. Uh, that's literally how it happened. And then, and as I finished each one, I would send it to my group and say, Hey, is this of any value to you? And I kept getting, I kept getting a couple comments back. Yes, it's, it's great because it's short and sweet. Uh, these are short chapters. It's a 300 page book, but each chapter is pretty short. So it's not taking a lot of time out of these guys, busy, busy lives. And then secondly, um, they appreciated that the word of God was preeminent. It started at the beginning with a scripture passage and then there are hundreds of other passages alluded to in the book, as well as some leadership reflection uh, questions at the back of each chapter. Um, because, again, you, you read a chapter and you don't really think about it deeper. That, what, what value of, of it is that? Uh, you you want to kind of drive it a little bit deeper through uh, introspection. Well, and what I love about it is, yes, you wrote it for an audience that ministers in businesses $100 million above, yet I work in a company significantly less valued than that as a radio talk show host, Christian radio <laughs> talk show host, and I loved what you were teaching. It was it was as applicable to me as a leader in my church, as a leader on this show, as it would be to anybody that's listening today. And that's what I loved. You wrote it at a at an educational level that we can all understand. It's not written at at, at from you know your your time in the cemetery. I mean the seminary. It, it's not written <laughs> from those days. It, it's 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 easy to understand. That's why I love books like that. Those are books I can get excited about because most people don't think like the, like theologians. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, so yeah, I, t- I think I think I think the other two thing too Jim is 
is that uh, I also tried to bring in uh, quite regularly uh, modern-day illustrations, be it Enron or or other things like that, you know, that happened in the business world, because frankly, I don't know that the church gets business very well. I would agree. Uh, I, think, I think we're buying into this misnomer that all businesses are crooked because we hear about a couple of them that are crooked. But the vast, vast majority of businesses in America, small or large, are run by well-meaning people that are trying to do a good job. And so I think the church needs to embrace business leaders and really encourage them to live their faith in the marketplace. That's where most people live, well, is in, I, at work. I think that that is starting to happen. The Made to Flourish movement is yes. is out there touching pastors' lives, and it is really the listeners of this show have the opportunity to reverse influence their churches and to let their pastors know, hey, I want to know how to apply what you're teaching on Sunday with what I'm doing on my nine to five. I'm hearing it on the radio. Let's hear it on Sunday morning. And so it's happening. And there are a thousand faith and work ministries around the country. We've only highlighted three or 400 of them so far. There's so much in this movement because people are understanding, hey, this whole Jesus thing, it's about my whole life, not just my Sunday life. And yeah. I want to know how to apply it. And that's what's great about your book. You know, Jim, we, we somehow got the dichotomy that there's the sacred and the secular. And, and that's just nonsense. Our life, everything about our life is in Christ. And so we spend how many hours a week at work? And, and that's the place we interact with people that probably don't know Jesus. And they need to see Jesus in our lives there as well. But how many of your CEOs, your executives that you teach in the CEO form that you interact with, how many of your pastor friends from your old seminary years, how many of your friends ever look at Jesus and go, wow, he was a leader in the marketplace. He had a phenomenal reputation because if he had done crappy work as a carpenter, he would have never had a platform for ministry. He must have been remarkably respected because everybody knew who he was. Hey, that's the carpenter from Nazareth. They had a hard time with the whole son of God deal, but they nobody said, there's the lousy carpenter from Nazareth. Nobody ever said that. I mean, how many well, people apostle, have that perspective? The apostle Paul was the tent maker, even though he was a, a Pharisee. He was right. highly trained. But he says, hey, I've got to rely on a, on a marketplace thing to— Pay for the bills. You know, I, I, Jim, I can't answer how many or per, what percentage kind of get it in our forum membership, but that, that's why we're all, that's what we're all about is to help them consider that possibility that God has ordained them to be in that position for such a time to influence their company for Christ. And uh, that's a variety of ways, uh, from corporate chaplains of America to Bible studies to the decisions that they make, uh, to interaction with employees. So that's, that's what's so cool about the marketplace movement is it's where people are at that don't know Jesus. Yeah, and we like to, on our work frame, we like to expand it to the workplace movement, not just the marketplace movement, because we got a lot of people listening that their workplace isn't in the marketplace. Their workplace may be in their retirement because they're in the they're 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 retired from their first phase and they're moving into their second phase. They may be a stay-at-home yep. mom. They may be a teacher. They may be a government worker. Things that aren't marketplace, but they still all know that their workplace it's their mission field. And in that mission field, they may be the only Jesus their coworkers and employees may ever meet. That's what's really cool about connecting your faith and work. Hey, today we're talking with Dr. Brent Garrison about his book, Leadership by the Book. And we're going to dig right in, but I want to make sure you knew that just in case you might have just tuned in. 
Brent, let's let's start digging in. I chose as randomly as I could chapters from your book that we could talk about today. And I chose I chose your chapter on Exodus, Ezra. I thought, okay, so we got Exodus, we got a little Moses, Ezra, we got a little prophet, Thessalonians, we got a little Paul, and Revelation, because uh, people are going, where can there possibly be a leadership lesson from the yeah, book of yeah. Revelation? So let's talk about Exodus. Are you ready? Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So the, the title on Exodus is Between a Rock and a Hard Place. So what was the situation that you lay up here in this chapter? Well, and people that have read the Old Testament, we're, we're encouraging to do, know that Moses on two occasions, uh, here in Exodus uh, 17 and then Numbers 20, uh, was involved in uh, parched uh, people. They, they wanted more water. They needed more water. Now, let's, let's, let's make this perfectly clear. God has provided everything for these people. The, and you, in your notes, said uh, probably 2 million people in the desert. So manna, quail. Uh, the, the uh, movement of the, the cloud and the fire. I mean, they were being led. Everything was being provided. But for some reason, they didn't think there was enough water. So they start grumbling and complaining. So Moses, again, leading these people to the desert. You know, he says things like, why do you quarrel with me? You know, why do you put the Lord to the, to the test? And, and then he says to the Lord, why, uh, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. So he's a frustrated leader. He's in between a rock and a hard place. Well, and he uh, and, and he says, "What am I supposed to do with these people that you've asked me to lead?" Exactly. <laughs> that that passing so the buck of responsibility. That's the, that's the point. I mean, in my background, I was I was in Christian higher ed for thirty two years, and ultimately was a president of a Christian university in Phoenix, and I dealt with a lot of employees, hundreds and hundreds of them over the years, and I can tell you from personal experience and talking to other leaders, we can get frustrated with the people that we lead, and yet. I'm trying to challenge you in this chapter is that that's not the right response. These are God's creation. These are the people that God has given you to, to lead and to minister to. And we, 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 nobody likes it when a leader shifts blame, do we? We think that's just not leadership. No, we expect the leaders to take responsibility of all those people of their own response, of their own decisions and those of the people underneath them that report to them. Exactly. And, and we all know the, the Harry Truman uh, sign he had on his desk, the buck stops here. How true. I'm the president of the United States. The buck stops here. I'm responsible for everything that happens underneath my administration. Yet, do now, you that s- wasn't the way Moses felt, and nor did he in, in Numbers 20 either. So do you see a lot of leaders really struggling with this pass the buck kind of thing, or do you see them taking responsibility for their actions and the actions of their people? I think, I think as leaders, we can do it both ways. I mean, at one time, I may accept responsibility, and another time, something comes up and I, I don't. Uh, the, the consistent way, though, is to always accept responsibility as a leader. And that may mean, that may mean Jim, that you lose that position. You, you're fired or you're, you have to resign. Uh, but, but that's what leaders do. They, they don't pass the buck. They don't blame everybody else. Is ultimately we we are responsible for what happens under our, our leadership. So Moses's response, where he's frustrated and he and he kind of argues and grumbles at God, and we all need to have the perspective that Moses is known as a man who's a friend of God. They had a very tight mm-hmm. relationship. Moses's response. Most of us will never lead two million plus people across a desert, and it's a pretty rough place. I've seen pictures of it. It's not a place I want to go vacation. <laughs> What was what was the right response for Moses when he was having this really frustra- frustrating time? What would have been the right response? 
Well, I feel the right response is that, uh, I mean, again, we all face it as leaders, very frustrating situations with people. We always need to remember, this is a precious person in God's sight. I, I need to respond to them as Jesus would. And, and so sometimes I need to just separate myself from the situation and calm my, my emotions, my visceral reactions, and bring it under the bring it in prayer and, and maybe supplication before the Lord to know how to respond to that. And, and by the way, Jim, let's face it, leadership is going to be very frustrating. If, if you're not ready to, to handle people griping and complaining, you don't want to be a leader. That's, that's just part of the, the, the gig, I guess. So uh, people need to see in their leaders that transparency, that, that vulnerability that I made a mistake. They respect that. They can forgive that much easier than somebody trying to hide it or pass it along. And, uh, again, how do you feel? How does anybody feel when the person that they, they, that's being uh, that their leader is not taking the blame? It's shifting it with somebody else. Well, I think what's really a key is that as leaders, we need to make sure that we learn – to take those frustrations and our failures and let those things help us become better leaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to, to some of the frustration may be because of our leadership. I mean, and, and that's a theme that you probably noticed through this book in several places that, that, you know, a critic isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes that critic's there for a reason. And so don't always discount the circumstances or the person and say, oh, that, that's their perspective. Well, maybe they're right. Maybe you need, again, that's why I say just slow it down, bring it before the Lord. I, I'm a huge proponent, proponent of journaling. It helps me to write out my feelings and thoughts and reflect upon them because I'm an emotional guy. I can kind of get in the moment and say something I really don't want to say. Oh, that, that is so true. All right, Brent, that was a great discussion on Exodus, so I thought it'd be kind of fun to jump into a conversation on Ezra. And for those of you just tuning in after the bottom of the half hour, we're talking today with Dr. Brent Garrison about his book that I just highlighted, 66 Different Lessons on Leadership Out of the Scriptures. And I tried to pick random books to hit. We're talking about Exodus, then Ezra, then Second Thessalonians, and then Revelation. So yeah, I know it's easy for me to say, but I'm on the air, so that's okay. So Ezra. Leadership multiplication. So, what was Ezra's role in Israel? Well, if you if you the if you read the passage at the beginning of it out of Ezra in the seventh chapter, there we we see some things about Ezra's life. First of all, he's a prophet. He he covers two of the times of exile with Israel, and this is what what the word says about this incredible man. He came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well versed in the law of Moses. And then uh, it says, Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and teaching the decrees and laws of Israel. This is a guy that was well-read. He was a, a studious uh, student of God's Word. And so he, he comes back with the children of Israel. He's got several responsibilities of rebuilding the temple and the foundations and setting up leadership. Because in there, it says in the verse uh, uh, Ezra 7.25, to appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people. Because, again, there was, there was no infrastructure there as they came back after being exiled. And so what a key role to set up these leaders and train those leaders. And so, uh, again, leadership replication. I personally believe that's one of the key things that a leader does. Casting vision is number one. What direction is the company or ministry going? And then number two, finding those right people. As Jim Collins says, get the right people on the bus. 
But once you get them on the bus, how do you how do you train them? How do you lead them? How do you develop them as leaders? Well, and that's if you look at the state of our country, if there's <laughs> one thing that is really lacking is that leadership multiplication. It is it is it seems as if when people get into leadership they forget that they need to create a perpetuation plan by building and training the next leader. They think that they're going to be there forever or they're just too busy doing whatever instead of looking investing in the people that are going to replace them one day. And as Christ followers, we need to learn from our master, our savior and he was all about leadership multiplication. He trained 12 guys and if he hadn't trained those 12 guys, none of us, be, we wouldn't be sitting here talking on the radio. Because if they hadn't done yep. their job, we wouldn't be here. No, exactly. And, and you know, as a leader, again, uh, my career, I have sought it to be on a regular basis, reading, contemplating, writing. I think you've got to carve out time every day, as, if possible, to, to sharpen your own tool, so to speak. Uh, because how are you going to build in the life of somebody else? And that's why it was important that I cited uh, in Ezra's life that he was devoted to study and observe, observance of the, the laws of the Lord. I mean, this is a guy that didn't say, hey, I know it all, and I'm, I'm not going to learn anything else. You're constantly fine-tuning and growing as a leader so that you can build into other people around you. Well, and as Ezra would know what you and I know, every time you read the Scriptures— it doesn't matter how many times you've read them, you always see something yeah. new that you never saw before, even though, you, even though you're going, you're like, I know I've read it. Here's, here's a date mark. I, I know I've read it before. I have no idea that was in there. I mean, it's just like, really? That's so cool. And that's because the scriptures are living and breathing and active. So mm-hmm. what, what is wrong with what? Let's say Ezra came back and he was going to help rebuild the temple and he was going to get it all done, but he didn't delegate anything. He tried to do it himself. We see a lot of leaders struggling with delegation because they're like, well, it's just going to take me twice as long if I have to teach people. I'll just do it myself. Yeah. What's wrong exactly. there? Well, in Exodus 18, I think Moses and Jethro, you remember that story? Oh, about, yeah. Uh, Jethro How many of us could use a father-in-law like that? That is, yeah, I've got a father-in-law like that. That, he was so lucky. You, you know, Moses, you're killing yourself, you know, you're, and, and the people are frustrated because they, they can't get at you for your decision. So you've got to multiply yourself. And then we come to the New Testament church, and we see that one of the primary roles was to, to identify leaders in each local congregation and that they had certain qualifications. Titus chapter 1, for example, lists the qualifications. So leadership, multiplication is absolutely uh, important in, in the church and in, and in business. Uh, how, and again, we've all worked for people, for leaders who would not delegate because they didn't believe that you could do it as well as they could. Where in reality, maybe you could do it better, but they don't want any credit taken off of their their leadership plate, so to speak. Well, and what I have seen is that great leaders surround themselves with people who are way smarter than them because they can accomplish so much more. And that's really what Ezra did. Ezra surrounded himself with young people and people that were smart and lots of things he wasn't smart in. And they accomplished rebuilding the temple. So let's move on then to Second Thessalonians, a, a, a book by uh, the Apostle Paul, written to the people that are living in Thessalonica. And you, this, is, this is why I picked this topic, because we see this damage all the time. The topic of this leadership lesson is leadership and sex. I, I, love, the, I love the sharp title, but what's going on here that's such a big leadership issue? Well, hey, Paul's writing to the, the, the church at Thessaloniki that they've got a problem. Uh, there in the fourth chapter, he says, you should avoid sexual immorality. 
that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and, and honorable, not in passion, uh, lust like the heathen who do not know God. So one of the distinguishing characteristics of a follower of Christ is sexual purity. And, you know, if you read the rest of this little chapter, I mean, I, I, I highlight that over 60% of the pornography in the world today is created in America. And with pornography being so prevalent and available in a way that's never been in the history of man, um, a, lot of, a lot of men particularly are struggling. But my wife is also a, uh, um, the director of women's ministry at a large church here in Phoenix, and she's saying that's becoming an issue with women as well. So sexual purity. God designed sex to be in the context of marriage alone, period. And I, what I love about this chapter is you don't beat around the bush. And it is something that, you know, it, with the statistics, when Barna released them last year, the statistics were staggering. 70% yeah. of the people sitting in the pews are struggling with, 70% of the men are struggling with pornography, sitting in the pews, and 50% of the pastors. And, and when I'm talking about business leaders, and when I'm talking about people, you know, how many computers in the workplace are being used for looking at pornography and the libraries and the public places, I mean, it is a staggeringly, it is a plague. I mean, I, I read yeah. studies on the, the church in South Korea that was exploding that we all heard about in the 80s and the 90s, and that it's been devastated because of pornography addiction. I mean, this is a serious, serious deal. How, as leaders, can we, you know, I, I, I'll step back for a second. I had the privilege of interviewing a uh, um, somebody that's a, uh, a news reporter for Inside Edition. I'm trying to think of her name right off the top of my head. I cannot believe I can't think of it right it's now. It's all right. It, it, it gets better with age. Yeah, it does. Ace, if you think about it, you let me know. Uh, so <laughs> when when but she actually went went public and said, "Hey, I'm not going to I'm not going to have sex with my husband until we get married." I mean, and she meant yeah. went public. That kind of leadership stance is a powerful stance. How do we how do we encourage this? Why is this such a big character deal? Well, and, and let's put it in the context of leadership again, because that's what the book's all about. We have bought into the nonsense, and it's absolute a lie from the pit of hell, that a, a man or woman's personal life is off limits. It's not going to impact their leadership decisions and the way they lead. That's just not true. You know as well as I do, when my personal life is in disarray, it will spill over into my public leadership life. And so I, I think that's something we just got to talk right up front and say, a, a person's character as a leader is absolutely critical in how they will lead. Um, you, you know, again, let, let's use Bill Clinton as an illustration. I mean, he, he was he's an absolute scoundrel in so many ways, not to get political. That's not my point. But everybody knew what was going on in his personal life. And to and to think that he wasn't distracted because of that, that that's just foolishness. Number two, God designed, again, healthy sexual relationships in the context of marriage. And, and we know that if my family and my sex relationship are in the, the context of God's design, I will be a blessed man. I mean, in, in every way of my life. So it's just character is just absolutely, absolutely critical. And in the chapter, you notice I've, I've listed a bunch of people who were in politics and business and sports. Uh, and then a couple Bible characters that all of their careers and lives were destroyed because of sexual impurity. It's amazing. Well, and, and when you look at the patriarchs, you look at Abraham, if he'd have just been a one-woman man, we wouldn't have 
so many of the problems that we have today in our world, 4,000 years later. Hey, that the person I was talking about was Megan Alexander. She wrote this book, Faith in the Spotlight, and she's on Inside Edition and on NFL's Thursday Night Football, and she went public. Hey, I'm not having sex with my husband until I get married. I want to make sure I said her name. So what are some of the ways, I mean, and, and you mentioned it, women are struggling with this now more, but men are more easily derailed sexually than women are. But what are some of the ways through account, through, what are some of the ways we can prevent this from happening? Yeah, I, I do list about five of them there. But before I go real quick, sure. I don't know if you know, by the way, Jerry Sandusky, who was assistant football coach at Penn State under um, Joe Petrino. Last week, wasn't it, there was an article about his son being arrested for, for pornography? Yeah. And, and so, you, you know, again, it's pervasive, folks. If we don't get a handle on this, it literally destroys lives. So anyway, to, to kind of deal with this issue, accountability is absolutely critical. Ecclesiastes 4.12, the importance of others in our lives. And this is one of the things that's been interesting in the CEO Forum. As, as these leaders get together in very confidential settings and begin to become transparent, it releases so much in their lives. The, 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 the ability to share intimate details with someone else is absolutely a critical aspect of this, this um, sexual uh, issue. Uh, I need to have someone in my life that knows me well enough and that I'm transparent enough that they can even read when I'm I'm fibbing to them. I'm not being honest. So right. accountability. A lot of people don't have that. And you know what, Jim? Leaders are probably the worst at this because, again, I'm a leader. I don't need somebody else in my life. Mm. And, and we need we more probably, than ever. We, we, more, exactly. Because as I also said in the beginning of the chapter, if you're a high-level leader, the the opportunities for you to fall sexually are uh, they're they're exponentially higher. Uh, number two, Internet security. I mean, yes, the Internet's out there. It's not going away. Um, there, there is security uh, that you can set. Uh, there's software you can buy that will help uh, stop certain sites from coming up if, if you know that's a problem. Again, you, you've got to take – you've got to be proactive about that and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life because I know it's destroying part of me. And, men, let's face it. If you're having – a, a fantasy relationship sexually, your relationship with your wife is going to be greatly, greatly harmed with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't kid yourself with that one. Uh, reflection. I, I talked about journaling earlier. I'm a huge journaler. I need to write about the, the very thoughts and intents of my heart, uh, James 1, 22 and 23. Uh, I've got to think about God's word and what God's design in my life. I've got to, again, just dig deeply into my soul and realize how sinful I can become, and then stay away from compromising situations. The former president of Moody Bible Institute, I'm not going to mention his name, but he would never travel anywhere without someone else with him. And your last one, know how to handle your thoughts. Know how to capture those thoughts and hold them captive. You're listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg, as we talk with Dr. Brent Garrison about his book, Leadership by the Book. He's with the CEO Forum, and he's also written this great book, Leadership by the Book, 66 Lessons, one from each book of the Bible. Just practical stuff that you and I can learn about leadership from the leaders in the Bible. You can get a copy of this book on Amazon, Christian Book Distributors, or CBD, for those of you that are out there and familiar, and Barnes & Noble. Brent, as we close out the show, in this last segment, I thought it'd just be great. Let's jump to the last book of the Bible and deal with the book of Revelation. And what it says in there, the title for that chapter is, I hate lukewarm coffee. Not hate coffee. 
but I hate lukewarm Mountain Dew, so I'll just go with that one. So you well, let me pray for you about coffee. <laughs> no, hey, no, I like Mountain Dew; it's good. All right, so you chose to deal with the lukewarm comment of Jesus to the church in Laodicea. Why? Well, I, again, it's very—it's almost rhetorical. Why? Because because lukewarm. Nobody likes lukewarm food, lukewarm beverage if it's supposed to be hot. And nobody likes somebody that's just not living life with passion. Uh, they're kind of getting by. They're, they're just doing enough. And frankly, uh, I think that's a, a, an epidemic level today. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those that strive for excellence, but I think our, our dumbing down education, our giving everybody trophies for participation, it doesn't help us strive for all that we can be. And uh, uh, I'm not trying to be a self-made man or anything like that because I trust in Christ, but, but God calls us to a life of absolute passion and excellence. And so, uh, as we know, uh, you know, the uh, church at Laodicea is called uh, You've Lost Your First Love or, or You've Become Lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, why? As I drink lukewarm coffee, I'm not going to swallow it. I'm going to spit it out. I don't want it. And we can get lukewarm. We can kind of get on the sidelines in our faith. We but, talked about this earlier. But why is that so dangerous, Brent? Because, you know, I, I, I refer to them on the air as mamby-pamby, weenie-butt Christians, uh, yeah. because lukewarm yeah. just doesn't say it enough. But why is that so dangerous? Why is that so destructive? Because it, 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 it basically it neuterizes, if I can use that word, the, pa- the passion of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to call us to, to excellence with, if, with every ounce of our being. And so as people meet believers that are, are not really passionate about your, their, your faith or living out their faith, how is that something that draws them into the household of faith? They, they should meet us, and of all the people that they meet, as it calls us in the, the Bible, a peculiar people. We're supposed to be a cut above the rest, our work mm. ethic, our, our intellectual capacity, striving for excellence in everything that we do. And if they just meet us and we're just kind of average or below average, I mean, how is that driving them to the Savior? Plus, the work of Christ is not being done. I mean, there's kingdom work happening all the time. And if we're just kind of getting by, that work is not, you're not getting it done. Somebody else may be doing it. So again, the passion in life, living out your faith, dynamic lives that draw people to Christ. Well, and, and you just may hit so many hot buttons for me, but we're running out of time. But, you know, <laughs> as leaders, we shouldn't tolerate people underneath us that are just lukewarm employees. Uh, we shouldn't. And, and as Christ followers, we shouldn't tolerate lukewarm Christianity. I mean, good yeah. grief. Everybody who met Jesus and it's documented in the in the in the Gospels, everybody who met him, their lives were never the same. How is it that we get so caught up and our lives aren't even changed? How is that? Are you really even a Christ follower if your life hasn't changed? If you're really just lukewarm? Good grief. My life has been ridiculously upheavaled since I met Christ 37 years ago. How do you deal with this? How do we make sure that it stops right now? Well, again, James, James talks about it. You know, show me my faith with your works or by your works. And I know people are going to argue, well, now you're, now you're talking about works righteousness. No, that's not what I'm talking about. You and I come to Christ by faith in, in, in the work on the cross. But after I have a relationship, after I've been reconciled, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, now because of that love for Christ, what he's done for me, I will do works of righteousness. It'll naturally flow. Yeah, naturally yeah, flows out of you. Naturally flow. So there's a great question you got to ask yourself if you're really not passionate about your faith. Am I in the faith? Have I been transformed by the blood of Christ? Because 
if you truly realize what you have in Christ and what he's done for you, you should be doing works of righteousness, not being lukewarm. Uh, That's the simplest thing I can say. I've got a great quote in this chapter from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. I think everybody's got to read. It's too lengthy to read now. But, you know, C.S. Lewis writes about this very idea of mere Christianity, how it changed and transformed him as a writer. So the world, Jim, the world desperately needs to see Christians living out their faith and authenticity and passion. Absolutely. It's very, very appealing. Absolutely. Uh, but when they but when they see it's just kind of getting by or much like the rest of the world, they go, ah, you don't have anything I don't have. Dr. Brent Garrison, thanks so much for being on I Work For Him and for writing this fantastic book, Leadership by the Book. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Jim. We come to the end of another I Work For Him show. Thanks for tuning in today. Get a copy of this book, Leadership by the Book. It'll show you how applicable every book of the Bible is to your life. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.